When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody, you're listening to the Late Show Pod Show, and we're with Stephen Colbert. What up? Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. It's great to see you. Always enjoy these. Today we have a Colbert classic coming on the pod today. Okay, this is from way back. This is from way back. This is from 2019, mm. and this person was on promoting um, a children's book that they had written, but I picked it specifically for sort of a sentimental anniversary that's coming around this month and something that I know that you and I love to talk about, especially in the rewrite room when the script is finalized. Music? Yeah. What is this? Who is this? So this is someone who, the book was called Hey Grand Dude. Perhaps you remember the author. Wait, wait, hey, grand. Oh, it was McCartney. Yeah, we got McCartney on the pod today because he is celebrating right now the 60th anniversary of the Beatles' first U.S. tour, which, if you remember, started... At the Ed Sullivan Theater. Started at Idlewild when they landed. I believe it was called Idlewild back then. Yeah. They they landed, sure. Yeah. How was that interview for you? Um, I've been lucky enough to interview Sir Paul a few times now, and it's always a pleasure. The thing is, when you talk to Paul McCartney, I always feel I want another bite of the apple because how do you get a new, how do you get a new interview out of a guy who had like the singular focus of the globe from his early 20s till today. And if he goes and does anything, everybody goes like, I, I want to talk to him. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story after we finish recording about Paul McCartney. Okay, great. But, uh, but you can you can leave in the part that I'm not going to tell you on air what the story is. But but I will not tell the story on air. Okay, okay great. Nice it's, a, it's a lovely story. But okay, it's, great. It's, yeah, there you go. And I just want to ask, because my, when, I, when I first started here, the first thing I did was go down to the stage and be like, okay, this is where, this is where the Beatles were. This, like, you, can, you can picture it. You can try to imagine where the girls were. Well, you can know where the girls were because yeah. you, know, you can look at the camera angles on where the girls are screaming, and you can see exactly where they are up against the dome. Okay? Mm-hmm. He, Mr., Mr. Sullivan had them way in the back of the balcony because – you know the Ed Sullivan show. We, we forget is that it was a it was a lovely night out at the theater in New York. It was adults, you know, dressed to the nines, to go out to see the Ed Sullivan show. It was a big deal. And so these teeny boppers, these which is that even older. That's you know these Bobby Soxers, which is you know Sinatra. But these young girls, they're they're, they're he's got them stuffed up in the rafters. And Mr. Sullivan doesn't want them there. He doesn't want the girls screaming for for Elvis Presley. You know, to know, like, we know, we have a pretty good idea where Elvis did, like, you know, um, Return to Sender or whatever the first song was. You know, the Beatles, we're not entirely sure. We think probably just up center, but mm-hmm. we don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty exciting to to look up there and to know that's where the girls were screaming and to know this is the stage. And all the other people, like the mamas and the papas, you know, Michelle Phillips. If you look at the footage of Michelle Phillips singing uh, California Dreamin', she's eating a banana. During, while they're singing it because she was so mad that but, they had to lip sync. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wow. The Doors, 
you know, light my fire. We couldn't get much higher. You know, Mr. Sullivan said he couldn't do that. Also, the elephant acts that used to be on stage there. And under the stage, we have these oak posts that are the elephant posts that were put in to support the stage when the elephants would come in from Ringling every year. Yes. Yeah, so we, cool. we painted a mural of an elephant yeah. on the wall downstairs to remind everybody what kind of acts used to be on this stage. Yeah. Yeah. I just love this. I just will never become inured to the privilege it is to be, for now, master of the house of the Ed Sullivan Theater. Like, to have your name on the outside of the Ed Sullivan and the history of it and the Hammerstein Theater, like where Archie Leach, you know, uh, Cary Grant made his de- American debut, like on that stage. It's, it's incredible. You forget, you're in a Broadway theater, mm-hmm. and a storied Broadway theater that only was a Broadway theater for like four years before it um, uh, shut down because of the Great Depression. And then it became Billy Rose's Dance Hall, which had a mafia tie, which then it got shut down by the city because of that. And then I think it was bought by CBS and became Studio 50. Yeah. Yeah. And what I love is... Oh, it was the, sorry, it was the Manhattan Theater. The Manhattan Theater. Then it was the Manhattan Theater. And I know this isn't part of this, but it was the no, Manhattan yeah. Theater. And the Manhattan Theater specialized... It was run by the WPA. It was the Works oh. Progress Administration. Like, they were putting up, like, Clifford Odets and, like, you know, working yeah. men. The American professional debut of uh, T.S. Eliot's Murder in the Cathedral was on this stage. Wow. It's a such an extraordinary. And I believe that is the last... That might have been the last production, like, a theatrical production in this theater. Wow. Around 1936, somewhere around there. And ever yeah. since then, it's even been radio or television. The Honeymooners, the first Honeymooners were shot in this theater. It's yeah. incredible. It's really incredible. And when you're walking into Airlock, going to the stage, there's a framed photo of the Beatles in a little car, and there's snow on the roof, and they're all just young men looking so nervous, so happy, so excited, yes. pulling up to the Ed Sullivan Theater to yes. do their big U.S. TV premiere. And that staircase is a famous shot of them going uh, on, on a, a fire escape staircase. It's still there. It looks yeah. like nothing has changed. It looks exactly the same. That always just makes me so happy when I see that. Yeah. It gives me a little pup in my step. I got a little chills just now just thinking about yeah. it. So Paul McCartney, yeah. Hey, uh, Sir Paul, if you're, ever, if you're ever in town again, we'd love to talk to you again. I would, I would love to talk to you again. Um, that's all. I just there's no other way to sell Paul McCartney. I can't offer him anything. He's done it all. He hasn't done the Colbert questionnaire. That's true. I don't know what his favorite sandwich is, and the world deserves to know. Right. Yeah. Um, I was at the White House once with McCartney, and it was for Barack Obama's 55th birthday, and it was a lovely night. And very cool. Stevie Wonder was on stage, I think, <laughs> or with Usher. Like Usher was the DJ, and oh. then Stevie Wonder was up there. And Michelle was up there, and and Stevie Wonder is singing to Michelle Obama, "Isn't She Lovely?" Wow. On stage, yeah. and I look to my right, and McCartney is standing there, and he looks at me. He leans in and goes, "Doesn't get any better than this," and I said, "You should know." <laughs> Yeah. He should know. That's what I mean. Like, there's nothing you can offer McCartney. Like, he has, there's no experience. You know, all you can do is, like, have fun. That's yeah. all you can hope to do is have fun with Paul McCartney. Yeah. That's great. I'm very jealous of and this just, interview. And just, and, and just, it. and just, like, hope that his fun bucket isn't, like, completely full at this point. Yeah. I think what, that's what strikes me about him, though, is he seems like he's still having fun with it. You yeah. know? Yeah. That's great. I'm happy yeah. for you, Paul. He makes veganism look appealing. He does. One of the few people. <laughs> All right, Mm. here's Paul McCartney from 2019 on The Late Show Pod Show. 
Ladies and gentlemen, you are here for a very special night. Very special night here in the Ed Sullivan Theater. Can't wait. Very I just cannot treat. wait, John. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, you know my first guest tonight because he's Paul McCartney. We've got to take a commercial break. Uh, we'll be right back. <laughs> uh, welcome back to the Ed Sullivan Theater. Thank you. Great um, to be back. I mean, uh, the first question, obviously, is where did you guys perform <laughs> the first time you were here? Was it, was it up there? I always guessed that it was right up there, right above the proscenium over there. Is that where it was? I don't know. <laughs> Well, if you don't know, then nobody knows. Nobody knows. Wow. It's changed so much. Yeah, it has. What did, what did, do you remember what it looked like back then? I, that was kind of the same. That was similar. Um, oh, man, it's so long ago, and, <laughs> and we were so nervous, you know. Were you really? Yeah. It doesn't show too much. When I look at it now, I think we don't look nervous at all. You look pretty happy. Yeah, but we were nervous. I got to ask you a personal question as a professional. On behalf of anybody who's ever tried to write anything, um, how, how do you do it? How do you, how do you, do you ever look back at your own catalog and say, how did I do that? Well, actually, I do. That is true. Because when I do them in the shows, I, uh, I, I'm singing like Eleanor Rigby or something. I'm thinking, whoever wrote this was pretty good. <laughs> you know, it's... Well, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. But where do you, where do you think it, it comes from? Where do you think, you know, people talk about a muse or someone who's sort of touched by grace? Where do you, where, why do some people become Paul McCartney and other people become Stephen Colbert? Um, seriously? Seriously. Uh, you know what? My dad was very musical, and I used to listen to a lot of what he did. So a lot of music went in. You know, and I listen to records and watching films and stuff. So I always think of it like my computer got loaded with a lot of data from all the songs I heard, all the old songs. And so when I finally came to write, I kind of printed it all out. You know, and so I think there was a lot of information in my brain. So you had a lot of reference up here. A lot, here of, a to lot make of stuff there, yeah. And uh, my family was very musical. We would have. Uh, Musical evenings, and all, the, all the old ladies, all the old aunties will be singing all the songs and getting gradually more and more drunk. <laughs> so, you know... That's a good crowd, actually. Uh, great. And my dad was the pianist for that. So, uh, you know, it was all the old songs. And then eventually he got arthritis, so I became the pianist for that. OK, OK. So, you know... Chicago, Chicago. <laughs> when the red, red rubber comes pop, pop, pop along. So I know all that stuff. So I think <laughs> when I finally came to write, I think I had a lot of clues 
as to how to write. And plus, I'm a genius. <laughs> Buried the lead. <laughs> that's, called, that's, that's called burying the lead. So all your, you're recommending young people just be a genius. And well, you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. Why not? What was that first tour like in the United States in, in 1964? Like pretty cool. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it was it was magical because, as I say, we loved American music, still do, mm-hmm. and everything we were singing, except the stuff we wrote ourselves, was American. So to come to America for the first time, come to New York as kids who kind of made it over in England, so we were cocky little gits. <laughs> uh, you know, so we, we felt like, hey, this is cool. Get the cigarettes out. Um, so it was magical. It really was. It was like everything we'd expected and more. And we were on the radio. Oh, so, yeah, you know, that's we big were, time. Tuning in, yeah. yeah. Tuning into little stations on, on those trannies. And we'd be on the radio. <gasps> we were so excited. You did a lot of covers. Who, what was your favorite artist to cover? Who, what, what cover did you enjoy most doing? Um, I think Twist and Shout was, was a great cover. People forget that that was a cover of you. Yeah. 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 People think we wrote that. Right. You know, we have to say, no, no, that was the Isley Brothers, you know. Um, yeah, we used to, I used to, I used to like doing Kansas City, Little Richard. What a lot of people have covered, a lot of people have covered your music as well. I think, I think Yesterday is the most covered song of all time, or the most recorded song of all time oh, by, by various artists. Mm. Do you have a favorite cover of a Beatles song? And keep in mind there's a correct answer. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd heard that the, the, was recorded 3,000 times or something. Yesterday, yeah. Yeah. So I said to one of our guys, I said, well, get me the top 10. Just what you think are the best 10. So he did. And um, it was like Sinatra, Elvis, Ray Charles, Marvin Gaye. I think I like Marvin's best. Uh Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, the funny thing about Sinatra, Marvin, and Elvis, they change the words. In the middle, I go, I said something wrong. Now I long for yesterday. All of them said, I must have said something wrong. (laughs) But they're not owning up. (laughs) I must have said, I don't know. (laughs) Search me. (laughs) <laughs> That's like those apologies that are like, if anyone was offended. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Wow. I must have done something wrong. The correct answer was. is Stevie Wonder's We Can Work It Out. That is the best oh, cover okay. of Beatles song. Just yeah, in case you were wondering. Yeah, that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, we, 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 <laughs> we checked with the judges, and that's, that, that's the original one. Now, um, are you ever stunned by the reach of your work, how many different cultures have embraced it? Because we had on, do you know the the, the Korean pop band uh, BTS? Yeah. Okay, they're the, they're the biggest thing on the planet right now. So I've heard. And when we when we had them on, I, I asked them this question, Jim. You are the first group, as I said before, to earn three number one albums in less than a year since the Beatles. Do you guys have favorite Beatles songs? <laughs> no. 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 
what, what do you think it is about uh, your music that transcends uh, geographic and language barriers so that those seven guys would just jump up and start the na-na-na's? Easy lyrics. <laughs> That's true. Well, we have to take a little bit of a break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Paul McCartney. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. We're here with uh, children's author Paul McCartney, author of Hey, Grand Dude. <laughs> now, um, I don't often uh, get in any way starstruck with a guest. People ask me, like, oh, a politician comes on. Are you ever... Uh, no, I don't care. And, because uh, I kind of know what they do. Actors, I kind of know what they do. Authors, I kind of know what they do. But when I have a musician on, especially one that I admire, uh, I can get a little starstruck because I think that what uh, musicians do, you, John, the band, it's mysterious to me. There, there is some, there's some magic in it where you're able to reach inside of our hearts and our minds and our souls and you change something. Um, that's real magic. And, yeah, and... I agree. You agree? Yeah. Um, uh, now I can't remember my question because <laughs> I am actually... I'm actually what no, it no. was was... No, no that, this, this is it. This is it. <laughs> I'm trying not to... Real so magic, you mean you magic. mean something? It's, it's it's in some ways it's a little bit difficult to talk to Paul McCartney because you're Paul McCartney, you know. Even though you're just a, a lovely guy, you know, you're just a guy, right? Um, you know, the thing is, um, I am still that little kid that grew up in Liverpool. Okay, I got really famous, but in here, I'm still that little kid. So um, I'm amazed at like the audience reaction and stuff, and because it's like. I still don't believe it, <laughs> you know. Um, and the way I think, just like when I'm at home, yes. I'm just slobbing out watching television, <laughs> like any, like anyone. So, um, so it's kind of him and me. Me is me that, that was always in this right. body, and the body's just grown up. Sure, the guy um, behind the eyeballs. Yeah, uh, and then him is that famous guy. Wow. He's very famous. <laughs> I've heard. I've heard he's very famous. <laughs> so how, how, I guess the question is, how do you then, how do you deal with other people's, like, what sort of, like, the emotion and the importance they bring to you that you can't possibly know what, it, what you mean to other people? Because some things will mean very specific things to other people, and they see you through a particular song or something. For instance, to me, the first thing I think of is Band on the Run. Okay, which has an enormous emotional resonance for me because in 1974, it was the song of the summer. And in some ways, that summer was like the last happy summer for me because my father and two of my brothers died in September 
1974. So that song is emblematic of an entire innocent time for me. Mm. And, and I, I know that you really have nothing to do with what that emotionally means for me, mm. but what, what do you do knowing that lives inside of other people when they see you? How do you, how do you deal with a fan who comes up? How do you deal with me right now telling you that? It's not easy, Stephen. I'm serious. Really I can, not. I can imagine oh. it's not easy. Because no, you can't be what people want you to be. No, I know. But, I mean, I was a fan of lots of people. So I kind of get it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also very happy that songs that I just wrote originally just to make some money... No, that's, that's how people start. You start out, you know, you love what you do, but you, you're trying to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that these songs then get into people's heads and they have this meaning, I mean, that's the, that's the biggest bonus you can have. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> we have to take another break, uh, but please stick around. We'll be right back with more Sir Paul McCartney. Hey everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, he used to have a couple of bands, many of which were featured on your favorite lunchboxes, but now he is the author of Hey Grand Dude, Paul McCartney's here. Um, uh, I'd like to ask about that, 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 said that boy growing up in Liverpool. Um, if you don't mind, mind me asking, I know that your mother died when you were 14, and I, I know that many people uh, ascribe a tragedy in an artist's youth to being an impetus for their sort of creative spirit, but a lot of people have tragedy and they don't become artists. Mm. In, in what way did your mother's death affect your work? What, if that had not happened, would yeah. you still have been a musician or be, be the man you are? Well, I didn't think it had affected me um, musically. I just knew it was a tragedy I've, I've got a younger brother who's a year, year and a half younger than me. And to lose your mom at 14 is, you know, not easy. So um, it was just very difficult for a few years just trying to come to terms with it. But then I found music and um, John. And John lost his mother too uh, in tragic circumstances. So, at 17, I think. Yeah, yeah. So we had a kind of bond that we both knew about that, we knew that feeling. Uh, and I never thought it affected my music until years later. People were saying, well, that song yesterday 
I'm going, yeah. He said, why she had to go, I don't know. She wouldn't say. They said, that's your mom. I said, well, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I certainly didn't mean it to be. Yeah. But it could be, you know, there's, those things can happen. But, um, yeah, no, I think, I think then it gave you the impetus to just um, go and have a good life, mm -hmm. which I know she would have wanted. Because you know it's precious. It can go away. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you, you mentioned your friend, John. Here's a, a beautiful picture of the two of you. Um, that's, re that's really a lovely picture of the, the two riders together. Do you, do you remember this moment? I do, yeah. It's, uh, and that's a very special picture for me, actually, because um, when the Beatles broke up, a lot of uh, the talk was that, like, I was the villain and that uh, John and I didn't really get on well. And there was a lot of down talk about it because you know, everyone was sad the Beatles had broken up. And I kind of bought into it. I, I thought... That you were the villain? Uh, a little bit, you know, because when you called it enough, you start thinking, well, maybe I, maybe I was, you know. Uh, so I, I had to do a lot of sort of wrangling with, was I, wasn't I? Did, did I know John? Were we friends and anything, you know? Knowing really we were, but, but there were so many rumours about it. And that photo, when I saw that, it's like, yes, we were friends. And it's a beautiful photo for me because it just, just reminds me of us working together and uh, how cool it was. Do you remember what song this was you were working on? No. <laughs> do you? What? <laughs> you probably do. I was, I was always imagining that this was you... I had always imagined, I've seen this before. And this could be totally off base, but in my mind I was imagining this was you talking about the long medley with him. Yeah, it could be. That's a very good guess. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's part of the job. We gotta guess yeah. things. I can also guess your way to the carnival. You know? um, aside from interviews, um, when you're asked about uh, John Lennon, how often do you think about John? How, how often does it come across Quite your often, mind? Quite often, yeah. Yeah? Quite often, yeah. I, I dream about him. Oh, really? Would you yeah. mind sharing one? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, the thing is, you know, when you've, when you've had a relationship like that for so long, it's such a deep relationship, um, you know, I love it when people revisit you in, the dream, in your dreams. So... <laughs> I'm, I'm often, I often have band dreams, uh, and they're, they're, they're crazy. You know? So I'm often with John, and just talking about doing something, and I come to get my Hofner bass ready to play, and it's covered in sticky tape. <laughs> ah, you know, dreams. <laughs> sure, I know. So, you know, I'm, I'm picking all this stuff off, and trying to talk to him. Now, I had a lot of dreams about John, um, and they're, they're always good. Do you ever write songs in your dreams? Yeah. All right. Yesterday. What? Yesterday yeah. was written in a dream? Uh-huh. I didn't know that. Please, tell, tell me. Um, I woke up one morning, and there was this tune in my head. And I, I, I was... Uh, I happened to have a piano by my bed. It was a little uh, apartment. And... Uh, so, what's this? What is this? So I thought, it's just some old tune my dad must have played, or I've just 
heard it yesterday, or, you know. On, <laughs> and so I went round to all my friends, to John first. What's this? What's, what's this tune? Da 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 I went to uh, George Martin, a producer. George, what's this? You know a lot of songs. What's this? Turtle He said, I don't know. So after about a couple of weeks, I decided it was mine. <laughs> <laughs> and no one came out of the woodwork. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> and no one came out of the woodwork. Well, that reminds me is that have you, uh, you, you know this movie Yesterday? Yeah. That, uh, uh, that, uh, uh, that, that just came out. Um, yeah. Uh, have you seen it? You know what? Um, yeah, people have been saying to us, we'll give you a screening, you know. I've been saying, I'm not sure we want to go to a screening. Uh, so Nancy and I said, we'll just go to the cinema. So we did last week, I think. You just walked into a movie theater? Well, crept in. So for those, for those of you who may not know, it's, it's, it's about a world in which something vaguely magical happens and there's only one man on the entire planet who knows the Beatles' catalog in his head. The Beatles never existed. And he's something of a failed musician and he starts doing Beatles songs and people go, what is that? And everyone falls in love with him. becomes the biggest thing in the world. What, what'd you think? Well, it was a pretty good plug for me. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> You know, I'm, I'm sitting, we, we, we were in the back row of the cinema, we, we planned that much. Sure, sure. So we were in the back row and, you know, so the guy's sort of saying, this Paul McCartney, greatest song. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, uh, it was great, it was a good way to see it. We wanted to see it with people. Yeah. Rather than like uh, yeah. a corporate screening. Sure. So we did. It was. I thought it was a nice movie. I did too. What I liked about it was that um, I, I'm, it got me excited because even in a world where no one's ever heard of the Beatles, just the music itself mm. moves people. Mm. You know, it's sort of a, it's a message to a younger generation that this is not hype. Mm. Absent any publicity, this is beautiful music mm. that is often about love and the, the, the need to love other people. Sadly, we have to take another commercial break, but if you stay there, he'll be right there when you come back. Don't go anywhere. Paul McCartney, everybody. I'm Rachel Martin. After hosting Morning Edition for years, I know that the news can wear you down. So we made a new podcast called Wild Card, where a special deck of cards and a whole bunch of fascinating guests help us sort out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, and it is seriously fun. Join me on Wildcard, wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Um, I want to thank you uh, from my, my two sisters, two of my sisters, Mary and Margo. I'm one of 11 children, and they're, uh, they're the eldest two girls. And they saw you. They wanted me to pass on their thanks to you. They saw you at D.C. Stadium Ooh. on August 15th, 1966. And it was the first time my sister Mary was allowed to drive at night. <laughs> and it was a holy day of obligation. It's the Feast of the Assumption. And she was up. My mother allowed them not to go to church. Even though my older brothers, Jim and Ed, wanted to tell them they were going to hell. <laughs> Especially since it was right around the time that John had said that you guys are bigger than Jesus. So that mm. was definitely straight to hell yeah. after that. Yeah. 
They said they could not hear a note. Nor could I. <laughs> what were those early stadium concerts like? Um, I mean, we enjoyed them. The early ones we enjoyed because it was success and it was, you know, they were going crazy, crowds going crazy. So you love it even if you can't hear yourself. After a little while, we just started thinking, you know, we're musicians and we can't hear ourselves. So it got a little bit wearing after a while. But uh, at the beginning, it was, it was fabulous. And we used to milk it. You know. What do you mean? Woo woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> we knew that would do it. That would, that, would, that, would, that would trigger the younglings? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. In fact, it's funny, I, I do concerts now, and uh, there's a girl who comes, and she says, I can do a Beatles scream like my mom. She holds up a card. Oh, wow. So I said, OK, girls, come on. I said, when we first came over here, you know, we couldn't hear a thing. So I said, all right, girls, you know, this is like 40,000 people in an arena. I said, all right, let's hear, let's hear a Beatles scream. Girls, come on. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's what it was like. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, it was fabulous, you know, because it was... Like I say, we were coming to America, we were successful. And the thing was that most of the British acts, in fact, I think all of the British acts who came to America, except, like, Chaplin, um, hadn't been successful. So music acts, because some of the guys were trying to be like Elvis, and you had Elvis. Some, right. you know, you had all the people they were trying to be like. Um, so we knew we had to be different, and we were. <laughs> what do you think was different? What was things different about your sound than other people at the time? Um, we we were like an amalgamation, amalgam, amalgam. Sure. Why not? Amalgam. Amalgamation. Yeah. Malcolm. Um, <laughs> a drill. We were, a drillion. A drillion. A drillion. I can feel it now. Um, now, we were a mixture of all the people we'd loved, but we weren't any individual one of them. So we were like Everly Brothers when John and I sang harmony. We were like Buddy Holly when we did those kind of songs. We were like Elvis when we did this. So uh, it just made up to a new sound. Mm -hmm. And we wrote a lot of our own stuff. So, um, and that was a little bit unusual then. Paul, do you remember when we were at the White House together for the Obama's final party, like their, like, lose the damage deposit party? <laughs> yeah. It was very nice. I saw yeah. you had already, already seen you and your lovely wife Nancy upstairs, and we had talked briefly, but then I saw you right outside the men's bathroom downstairs mm. in the library in, in, the, in the basement mm. of the White House. I warned you about that. Yes. And you said, you said, this is a nice room. And I said, it is, yeah, that's, that's uh, George Washington's actual sword on the wall. Do you remember what you said to me at the time? Remind me. You told me about your knighting, when you got knighted. Yeah, I, I told you that I got knighted by Her Majesty the Queen. Yes. And um, it's quite something, yeah. you can imagine, you know. Yeah. And what you have to do is you're not allowed to turn your back on her, so you kind of Because she'll stab you? Why don't you just do it? <laughs> I've never thought of might that. Be, might that be. That could be Because she's got a sword, right? She's got a sword. Jeez. I... Yeah. So you walk in, not turning your back on her sure. for one second. Sure. And 
you stand in front of her, then you walk down there, and there she is, you know, the queen of the whole world. <laughs> sure. And she's got this, this sword. Um, anyway, what, you've got a little red cushion, and you've been, you've been told what to do. So you kneel down on the cushion, and then she takes the sword and does it either side of your shoulder and, and then says, arise, Sir Paul. So you were an ordinary guy, and when she does that, you're now magically Sir Paul. Wow. It's just like Harry Potter. <laughs> That's what I thought. Similar. But... 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 The thing is, the sword is special. That's why we were talking about George right. Washington's sword. The sword belonged to Ethelred the Unready. Wow. Have anyone that's like a thousand-year-old sword. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's an old sword. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you uh, told me that. Yeah, Ethelred. You said, you said, I said, that's like a thousand-year-old sword. And you said, yeah. And then you looked up at Washington's sword and you went, so that's a nice sword. <laughs> <laughs> Late Show Pod Show listeners can get 20% off on all Late Show with Stephen Colbert merchandise on ParamountShop.com. That's 20% off at checkout on all Late Show shirts, mugs, accessories, and more with code TLS20 at ParamountShop.com. We're here with the author of Hey Grand Dude and also noted musician Paul McCartney. Um, Paul, I understand that Jimi Hendrix covered Sgt. Pepper's mm. just a couple of days after it came out. Yeah. Um, that's ballsy, for one thing. That was very ballsy, yeah. But did you know he was going to... Were you there, for one thing? I was there, yeah. It was at the Savile Theatre in London. And um, I was there, Clapton was there, Townsend was there. We, like, all come to see this new guitar god. And, yeah, we'd released Sgt. Pepper on the Friday... Two days later, on the Sunday, he'd learned it, and he played it. And he, he, played, it, he played a great version of it. But he had this uh, vibrator arm, mm -hmm. you know, the Bigsby arm on the guitar. And it, the whammy bar? The whammy bar. Mm -hmm. Call it what you will. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's going... And we're going, whoa, great, great. But we knew, now he's out of tune. Because you're stretching the strings. Every you time stretch the strings. In those days, that would send you out of tune. So it's his first number. So we're looking, what is he going to do? So he starts looking for Eric Clapton in the audience. He says, is Eric out there, man? And Eric Clapton is the guitar god at that point. Clapton is god. Yeah. But Eric is there, but Eric's hiding. He's... Jimmy spots him. Hey, man, will you come up here and June this thing for me? <laughs> wow. Those are some brass swingers right there. <laughs> Did Clapton go up and tune it? No. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Jimmy just had to do it and he got on with it. Um, I know you're, uh, you're, you're here partly uh, because of you have a new children's book. Uh, it's That's true. Paul McCartney, 
Hey, grand dude. <laughs> uh, what, uh, what's it about, sir? This is about grand dude. Who is, uh, this all started because um, one of my grandchildren, I have eight grandchildren, Stephen. Congratulations. Congratulations. You have In a fact, there they are. You see that? And by having this photo on the back of your phone, you just proved you're a grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at least I don't try and go. Some people do. Um, one, of, one of them, um, who shall remain nameless, Beckett, um, <laughs> he just one day said, hey, grand dude. He, start, he started calling me grand dude. So I said, well, that's a great idea. And so I, I wrote some stories, and then uh, these people found out and uh, said, do, do you want to do a book? Well, as simple as that. Well, now that you're uh, refashioning yourself as the coolest grandfather out there, um, hey, grand dude, uh, you're off to a, a, a beautiful start here with these illustrations and these stories. And uh, this is available now. But we, we just wanted yeah. to recommend a couple other titles that, okay. that, that you could write. Yeah, okay. If this is successful, we got some other ideas for you. Oh, I'd, like okay. to, I'd like to pitch them to you right now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> The first one is, uh, Gran on the Run. <laughs> All you need is love and Lipitor. <laughs> Help! I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> Back in the AARP. <laughs> And finally, Obla D, Obla Delt Diaper. <laughs> these are free. Yeah. These are, you can take these. I will. I will. The book is Hey Grand Dude. The <laughs> Grand Dude is Paul McCartney, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Just one more thing. If you want to see more of me, come to the Late Show YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.